0: Welcome to a new episode of 33Fuel Podcast, my name is Erika and one of the co founder of 33Fuel Naturals for Nutrition. Today, I will be your host for this conversation with Susanna Gill. She is the female world record holder for the World Marathon Challenge. So for the people that don't know what is the World Marathon Challenge, it's seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. So the runner, they started to run on a glacier in Antarctica. They fly to Africa, Australia, Asia, South America, and North America, crossing 16 time zones. So seven marathons in seven days with no resting day in between. In this conversation with Susanna, we will explore how she broke the record and also how she wrote a book about it. So the title of her book is Running Around the World, how I run a seven Marathon on seven continents in seven days. And this is an amazing guide for the people who want to break a record, the people that want to uh, participate to the World Marathon Challenge. We will also explore how, explore how difficult it is to write a book while you are training and uh, while you're having a normal uh, office uh, job. So we will spoke with her about her uh, writing routine and how she find a publisher. Because I'm sure there are a lot of athletes out there that they want to write a book and they don't know where to start from or they want to publish and they don't know how to find a publisher. So in this conversation with Susanna, we will be able to get some key tools on what makes her an outstanding athlete and how she is able to inspire runners to believe, that, to believe that anything is possible. All of this fits completely into our mission F33 Fuel Natural Sport Nutrition which is providing athletes with the best possible tool to make the performance to the next level. And we do it sharing leading conversation and thoughtful content like this one with uh, Susanne uh, on our podcast, on our blog, and on our social media. But we do also in-store at 33fuel.com uh, with the finest natural sport nutrition for high performance. So if you need fueling, Just go at 33fuel.com and experience the best natural sport nutrition on the planet. But first of all, enjoy this conversation with Susanna Gill. Welcome, Susanna. Uh, You made history. You are the new world record holder in the World Marathon Challenge. Seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. So tell me more about it. How do you feel when you see your name as the world record holder. How is this sensation? I want to know. (laughs) Hi Erica, yeah, lovely to lovely to speak to you about this. Um, it still
1: feels a bit odd, really. I mean, I've got sort of used to it, but um, I was thinking actually earlier when we were when I was talking about what we were going to chat about. Um, some of the, the the phrase that I find the strangest when I've watched the sort of all the articles that have been written about it is when it says British runner Susanna Gill, which is weird because they're just four words and they're all completely true. I am British, I am a runner, and that's my name. But it makes me sound considerably more professional, I think, than I. Really really feel because at the end of the day I'm just a person that enjoys running I was going to run one marathon and didn't realize that I was going to run a whole host more and certainly wasn't planning to run um seven on seven continents in seven days so yeah it still feels a little bit surreal sometimes but um now that I've had a bit of time to absorb and write a book about it it sort of feels slightly more real but I still very much feel just like the amateur runner that enjoys running who happens to have just done I don't know had the opportunity to take on an amazing challenge
0: yeah, I know this was an amazing challenge. It was a real, real challenge. So tell us more about uh, where it started the race. Uh, how long is the race? Uh, a little bit more also the differentiality of uh, the places.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very special and unique challenge. There isn't really one any like, anywhere like it in the world. There's much longer challenges and you can run through jungles and things, but there isn't something really like this. And um, it was the first done in 2003 by Sir Fines. Fiennes. Um, although actually he didn't run in Antarctica, he ran in the Falkland Islands, but the concept of running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. And for me personally, I loved it because it had a certain symmetry to it. And it's it's a very much a physical and a mental challenge because not only have you got the seven races, but you've got the aspect of how you look after yourself and repair yourself um, in between the races and mentally get yourself ready to race again. Because most of us, even if we enjoy marathons and triathlons, even Men and all that, um, we tend to only do one race at a time and then you can collapse in a bit of a heap and then prepare yourself for the next one. Whereas this challenge, you had to get on a plane and start thinking about the next race as you were recovering from the previous one. And I just kind of loved the idea of that. Um, but I never really thought I would ever get around to doing it until I came across a company at the beginning of, of 2017 um called um World Marathon Challenge, who who organized the race. Uh, and their race organizer, Richard Donovan, is he's just a brilliant at uh, organized logistics. He's also an exceptional runner himself. He's he's run across America. Uh, and he set this up so that people could have a go at doing it without having to try and do it on commercial flights and organise it yourself, which would be it's logistically possible, but you end up being very reliant on whether those planes are going to take off on time and, and having to organize your own races. So World Marathon Challenge as a company sort of makes it feasible in theory. Um, and then I spent about six months at the beginning of um, 2018 sort of thinking about whether I should do it or not. Um, I'd spoken to Richard and, and i filled out the forms, and he sort of went, Yeah, there is a place for you. But 49% of me was going this is the most ridiculous figure. But you're just you're an ordinary marathon runner you shouldn't do something like this what if you I mean I used to be so lame the day after a marathon you know yes I could run an okay marathon but I mean the next morning getting out of bed and going to work and everything was pretty painful so I was like how on earth would I run seven in a week I can't possibly do that but then 51% of me said actually if you don't have a go at it and do this thing you're going to wake up when you're 70 years old and, and actually regret the fact you didn't give it a go and that, <laughs> that's probably the greatest thing I've learned in all of this that if, if if there's just a little bit of you that wants to take on a challenge you should definitely do it because actually you I think we regret the things we don't do um and so that's really why I, how I sort of came to finally in the autumn of of 2018 sign up to it uh and think right I'm gonna I'm gonna have a go at this amazing challenge
0: uh, that's uh, it's uh, it's it's interesting your point of view and just yeah the regret you know and uh, you're mm. absolutely right you say why not do it until you are young healthy and uh, you have the time to do it also because I would imagine first of all uh, um, if I'm not wrong you start in Antarctica yeah. yeah. So that is uh, um, very interesting, not from just the point of view of landscape, so you are running on a completely different surface compared to later on in the race, because each race in each continent, they have a different time zone, (laughs) different Mm -hmm. temperature, because if I'm not wrong, the temperature they go, the range of the temperature they go from minus 10 to plus 25 or something like that. Yeah, uh, cool. so, so in reality you are really it's difficult to prepare also something like that. How did you how did you train uh, to different kind of different uh, different uh, temperatures?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm someone who I train in the UK, so I'm used to getting wet, sometimes a bit hot in the summer, quite cold in the winter. Um, I've I've run in a few hot places like Egypt and um, Bahrain and things, but nothing sort of long term. Um, so I wasn't really, I didn't do any specific temperature training, but in terms of Antarctica, um, (coughs) excuse me, um, it was just a case of getting used to running on snow, which again, I'd never really done other than if I'd had to just do a very short run here and it happened to be a bit icy, which is something that I never wanted to do um so you do, it's a much slower rhythm on snow you can't rush anything because your feet are moving around that much more and the cold weather was just about having layers on and then when we'd finish running as well just getting out of the cold weather and into nice warm warm clothes and then the, the the toughest temperature change was actually between the first and second marathons because we went to Cape Town overnight and ran there and it was plus 30 it was a really really hot sunny day uh not a cloud in the sky um <coughs> and so uh yeah i had to then have put loads of sun cream on having not really i'd only had a very quick shower so i was still kind of sweaty for the day before uh, and just getting out and i was just pouring sweat and again there it was a case of just getting out of the sun once you'd, you'd run that marathon having a shower and, and starting to refuel and then the other five marathons were actually all in the evening so although we were in um Bahre, even though we were in Dubai it was nice it was in the evening it was it was quite um quite cool and a bit clammy but it was fine and then so were the other temperatures so they were quite uh even as, as, as temperatures go so that wasn't too bad
0: <laughs> yeah, but there is still a, a kind of also adaptation uh, toward, uh, you know, the light, uh, the, the way how to run, because once you can run daytime and suddenly you start to run at nighttime, or in any case during the yeah. evening. So I would imagine also that is a little bit of an adaptation on... Uh, yeah, I think the time zones were really
1: interesting, because the first 48 hours your body tries to cling to what it, it thinks is a time zone, so whether you're in lunchtime or whatever... But once I got to Perth, which was the third race, and we'd had a good long flight from from Cape Town over to Australia, I actually found my body stopped trying to work out what time zone it was in. It didn't... It was the first time in my life I just thought it doesn't actually matter what time of day it is. I'm, I'm either going to be sleeping and recovering or stretching or eating or actually running a marathon. And whether it's lunchtime, evening, whatever food I'm eating, it doesn't really matter. It was quite interesting. And it, it's very much changed my way of view of travel as well. Normally, if you're on a plane, even if you're lucky enough to travel business or something, I'm, I'm normally in economy, but maybe premium economy. So even if you're in a nice flight, you think, actually, I kind of want to get to where I'm going. Whereas this time when I got on a plane, I was thinking, yes, I don't have to move anywhere for 12 hours or (laughs) however long it was. And actually you just sat enjoying being on the plane and being able to recover. Um, So I've become a bit more of a relaxed traveller, I think now, because I just think, right, if you're on a plane, you're relaxing, you're stretching. I was up and stretching or I was eating. I was doing everything I could to just be recovering in time for the next race. And actually you didn't want to get there too quickly because you wanted as long as possible to to rest and recover before you got to the next race.
0: And also the fact that you are actually crossing 16 time zone, this uh, mm. I totally understand that you basically don't look anymore at your watch because no. there is no point. It's not that you have no. a finial.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, we were a lot of our marathons. You know, in 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 uh, Perth, we were running into the evening. Uh, in Dubai, we started just before midnight. Uh, it just it was totally irrelevant as to what time of day it was. We were there to run a marathon, and, and you just got on and did it.
0: That it's uh, and how about the jet lag?
1: I've never re- I've never gone to Australia, so I've never done the full round the globe thing. But I've never found jet lag to be most of a problem for me when I've been to the US and China and things. Um, I my body is quite, I have quite a strong constitution, and basically, if I as long as I can eat and sleep, I, if I t- if I tell my body that it's eight o'clock in the evening, uh, regardless of of what time it might think it is, and it's time to eat some food and go to bed. I'm quite lucky I seem to be able to do that and you might wake up a bit early or something but sometimes I think people kind of allow themselves to feel jet-lagged whereas if you force your body to actually just do what you know it needs to do so keep eating keep sleeping keep really well hydrated then I actually found it easier to cope with than I thought I would but the joy of the challenge is you just don't know till you get there some people slept a lot more than others and it was just the case of what you got used to I mean um Mike Warden, who is the the male world record holder, who was doing it for the second time, he found that even though it was the second time, so he sort of knew what he was getting into, he found he didn't actually sleep that well during the week and much less than he had done the previous time. So you can't always control how your body responds, but you've just got to try and do what you know you need to do to keep yourself in one piece.
0: Yeah, and sleep deprivation could actually affect so much your race. So I would imagine, did you get stressed about that a little bit or getting some bugs or anything that actually can stop Um, your race I was quite
1: pleased a bit like you might hear that I've got a cold now I had a cold at the new year last year which was four weeks before we left which although was annoying I thought actually that's really good timing because if I've had a cold four weeks before I leave I'm probably law of averages means I won't get another bug and then food wise and things I just I ate quite a lot of vegetables I didn't eat that much meat and you just try and hope that you're not going to get a bug or anything like Mm. that um and so yeah obviously lots of lots of clean water available the food on the plane was was pretty good quite a lot of snacking on nuts and um crisps and fruit and things so yeah just lucky that um, yeah none of us no one got sick actually we all we all cope pretty well with everything
0: you started from antarctica and yeah. then from Antarctica, where do you go? Which is next step? So we go back to Cape Town. So running
1: there, which was lovely and hot and wonderful. And we th- we were based there with the hotel, so I could have a shower. And I found a really great kind of um, American-style diner afterwards that I had a veggie burger and chips. That was just such a highlight. When I was running and I was sweating so much, I was just thinking about salty chips and how good they were going to taste. Um, <laughs> and so that was great. And then a long old flight to Perth, which was... We had a great Australian welcome from a local running club, and we were running up and down the river there, so that was a nice flat course. Um, in Dubai, we were running, for the fourth race, we were running along the beach, which was pretty cool at night. Um, so you had like the lights of all the villas and, and the, the waves kind of lapping up, which was quite peaceful. Um uh and I'd been to Dubai before so that kind of felt quite nice and familiar um then we flew on to Madrid, which was a sort of short eight hour flight and of course everyone thinks Spain is hot, but actually it was really quite cold that evening uh that February evening but I being a British runner I stuck in my vest and shorts and I probably should have worn a few more clothes um and that was on a, that was on a race circuit which was pretty hilly and that that was a tough course and on a cold night that was that was hard and got a particularly fierce race that that evening with another competitor and then complete contrast we flew down to Santiago uh, in Chile and ran around a park in the nice bit of the city there which was kind of warm and very smart not not the fastest course because we were twisting and turning around this park which had this one hill that we had to go up every lap which when you're on tired legs doing lots of twists and turns and changes of direction was quite hard work And then flew on to Miami to finish, which was brilliant because the race was organized by the guys that that organized marathons. So they're just superbly organized. And we were running up and down South Beach, which was lovely because it was on concrete and a little bit of the wooden boardwalk that they have and nice and flat. So that was the sort of perfect way to finish. So each course was supposedly obviously the same as as 26.2 miles and relatively flat. Each course did have hills, but they were all nicely different in my head. They feel like they were completely different different races and all very, very distinct from each
0: other. Yeah, definitely. They were very different. And probably also um, there were different kind of challenges because, as you said, Antarctica, definitely there is the ice, but then you have also to run a, on the sand. So it's a completely different kind of running, a different kind of training, I would imagine. How long did it take you to, um, to train so I worked with a the, the fellow author of my book, um,
1: a man called Mike Antonidas, who set up the running school, because I'd, I'd been to the running school, I'd got injured in 2015, classic runner's knee, had to have my cartilage operated on, so many people have had that, and I came back to running, and I, I just wasn't running very well, I knew it, and I was taking the odd tumble, and you just, you know, and you know, you need to get someone to help you, and I saw the running school advertised, and I, and I went there, and they, they, they look at how you run, and they basically just get you running in a much better, much more solid way. And um, I thought, well, if I'm going to train for this, I'm going to I'm going to need someone who knows what they're doing because, I mean, I'm a qualified personal trainer, but that doesn't mean to, I know how to get myself fit for a special challenge. But I also needed someone that was going to hold me accountable because I knew it was going to be the hardest training I'd ever done. And if I was just going to set myself the challenges, it was, it was never going to work. I needed someone else to say, right, that's the program that you need to do. Those are the sessions that you have to do. And so I spoke to Mike and um we we agreed that we'd work together on it I think he thought I was a bit mad I'm not sure that he knew that um he'd never coached anyone to do this challenge uh but he thought it would it would be quite uh quite a fun thing to do and um so we ended up working together focusing solely on this from beginning of September to the end of January when I went so it was like five months really that we did this, and he he set a weekly program, and, and it was quite different from what I'd done before. As a sort of recreational marathon runner, I'd done all the long runs at weekends that we do, but I've never really done any interval training. My idea of interval training was going a little bit faster at the end of a run. Uh, it wasn't doing 20 times 90 second sprints with 90 seconds in between, or um, eight times four minute pieces of work, uh, which are they're the, they're the hardest ones I find. Uh, and also a lot of races and a lot more structure than I'd done before, and so that actually was I- invaluable. And that was that was half the reason I wanted to write the book was that how we did it is, is to me the most sort of interesting thing, as well as the races that I actually did themselves, because I I went from probably eighty percent fit, probably right up to we can always get fitter, but right up to ninety plus ninety five percent fit because of the program that Mike put me on it and what we learned doing it, um, and it was just a fascinating process to actually. Rather than just think, I'll go out for a run, it was to go out and do a specific run as part of a training programme and and do all the sprint intervals and all the things I hadn't done before in a much more structured way. And you realise, actually, that's how you get fit. Um, It was a little insight into a little bit of what what it must be like to be a professional athlete where you're doing something very focused every day of the week for, you know, your entire Olympic cycle or whatever it might be. Um, It's hard work, but it's very satisfying because you can make big changes to how fit you are over a relatively short period of time
0: did you add uh, any rest a day in between the week because of course these are uh, seven uh, marathons without any rest a day so did you add uh, in your simulation you know on uh, your yeah. program did you add any simulation no rest a day during the, the training
1: yeah, we'd have an easy easy day on Monday where I'd if, if I'd done long runs on Saturday and Sunday, like Monday would be like a spin class or something easier. Um, and then actually the, the big tests that we did before I went away was I ran six marathons in nine days before Christmas, which was like a simulation of what it was going to feel like. But at the same time, by doing it over nine days, it gave you some recovery just to see how I was feeling. So I ran two marathons two days in a row then had a day off then ran two more then had two days off and ran two more and they were a mixture of races and runs by myself and that went really well I finished the third one I finished the last one in three hours 35 so I thought that's great I, they were very consistent I was still in one piece and that was so yeah we went we went and did a proper sort of rehearsal of what it was going to feel like to to fantastic. run that often and that far
0: fantastic and so how did you avoid the injuries because uh, training so heavily and uh, with not so, ma- not so many rest days <laughs> in reality, how did you avoid, avoid the injuries?
1: Touch wood, I, every runner hates talking about injuries, don't they? Because the moment you say, oh, I mean, this, is my, this is the secret, then of course we're going to get injured. But um, I'm quite lucky, I'm, I'm built, I'm quite tough um, anyway anyway. But really, I mean, it's the the thing we all hate. It's that bit of strength work that we all have to do. Um, All those boring exercises with weights to strengthen up our glutes and my hamstrings, the back of my legs, um, and make sure they were doing all the hard work as opposed to my hips, knees, ankles, any of the joints. Um, And then if, if I came in and anything was a bit sore, when I had my weekly session with Mike at the running school, he'd change everything. So if I said my right hamstring was a bit sore as it was normally my left hamstring would do some exercises just to look after that so it was kind of respond to what you need to and and listen to your body but at no point was like did I ever miss a training session I I would just do it slightly lighter if anything was hurting um or I got a cold or something I had one cold during training um but otherwise it was like make sure that you do every session so you hold yourself accountable for doing it but just listen to your listen to your body at times that you need to
0: you were doing your program was um some with mike and some without basically some you just had to do how many how many times a week you were working with him directly Uh, with him
1: i do one session a week so normally one evening a week um sometimes possibly an early morning if that was easier but then we were also in constant contact so when i was best. doing my lo- when my yeah when i was doing my long runs at the weekend if they particularly if they were by myself it was quite if you're going out i mean i like to go out for a run but i'd probably choose to go out for about 2 hours on a saturday morning but i was quite often i was going out for 4 hours and actually knowing that I have to text Mike afterwards and let him know how it gone and kind of hold you accountable again like I am going to get out the door and I am going to run for 4 hours because I then have to let Mike know how it goes and equally if I got up in the morning on Sunday early and went and did a race somewhere which I quite like to do because it's a bit more exciting than running by myself let Mike know how it went and just having that kind of partnership really helped Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're just doing it by yourself, then it, then it's probably not as, not as fun, but knowing I was working with someone who knew what they were doing, and uh, it was a sort of bit of an adventure for both of us made it, made it great fun.
0: That's very nice. So this is more the physical part, but what about the brain? Because of course you need a lot of focus and probably in your mind quitting, it was, did it cross your mind or not at all? And, uh, how did you, yeah, how did you train your brain for yeah, um, I'm luck. Again, I'm quite
1: lucky in that I'm someone who's very, very determined. When I say I'm going to do something, I pretty much I'm going to do it unless I absolutely unless something comes up that means I absolutely can't do it. Um, but there was a couple of things that we worked on. Um, the first one was that on my first session as part of the training program before I even got on a treadmill or anything, Mike gave me a couple of books which were just brilliant. Um, one of them is called The Art of Mental Training. Which is all about like the art, the how, what champions have, and what you tell yourself to keep yourself going when you um when things get tough. Which is you have to create a mantra, that thing that you just keep saying to yourself, and that keeps you going. The other one is a great book by Angela Duckworth um, called Grit, which is all about determination and grit yeah. as opposed to talent, and just fantastic books. And there a few others as well. There's one called Brain Rules about how the brain works, just so you understand why you think the things you you do and. then then I think if you understand that, it's much easier to cope with it. And also, Mike gave some very honest feedback as well. He said, look, I'm going to coach you to run the first four marathons, but marathons five, six, and seven are up here in your head. Um, You don't know how you're going to feel at that point. I can't tell you how you're going to feel, but you're going to have to just deal with that when you get to that point. So when I'd finished the race in Dubai at race number four, I sort of, on the way to the airport, even though I was exhausted and looking forward to going to sleep, um, I actually just sort of pressed a big sort of reset button in my head, as if everything I'd done before didn't matter, and it was like, right, the next three marathons are the only thing that matters, right? I start again now, and that really, really helps. So, Because otherwise, if you think about all seven races in one big go, it all seems a bit too much. Whereas if you can break it down and say, right, you get through the first four then you press reset and then you get through the next three that makes it a bit more manageable um, and so I thought about that quite often and so when we set off in Madrid for race five I was like right this is where the kind of the proper race really starts now this is the the real step into the unknown and both of those mental strategies really worked um, in terms of learning about myself and what I was going to say to myself when it got tough and, and realizing how the week was going to pan out and it was it was strange we obviously did get it right because during the week, although it was a completely new experience, nothing felt new. It felt like we'd planned all of this. And I was like, right, this is how I'm going to feel in race two and then three, four, five, six. Um, and there was nothing that sort of, when I look back, and like, would I do anything differently? There's a few tiny things. But on the whole, the week went how I would wanted it to have gone, which I think if you're planning for any type of, of challenge, that's the best thing you can hope is that it it goes, it goes how you planned it to go.
0: Have you done a lot of visualization? Because one of the techniques is also visualization. Mm-hmm. Have you done it? It was uh, part of your mental program? I did. We didn't do any
1: specifically. I think I probably did it as I lay and my head hit the pillow each night and I'd be trying to imagine what it was like, although I, I was falling asleep so quickly because I was so tired. It probably lasted about five seconds before I was asleep. Um, but yeah, I, I tried to you know, look at the map of each place we were going to and just try and think what it was going to be like to do for 15 laps in Dubai, or, or whatever it was, and and try where where I'd been to the places before. So I'd been to Cape Town, I'd been to Dubai. Like just think about them, and and so that things weren't completely new and startling to you. Um, and I've done loads of marathons, and at the end of the day, it's just another race. Once you put that number on. And you've got your trainers on and you're ready to race. You're, you're in race mode. And whether you're in Cape Town or Madrid or Perth, it shouldn't really matter. You're there, you're there to race and put in the, the best physical performance that you can put in. Um, and that's what I did from the start line of each race.
0: So when did you realize that your brain and your body were ready to go? When it was that moment? Um, I think once we'd done that
1: dress rehearsal with the six marathons in nine days at Christmas... Um, that was about four weeks before we left I thought I'm probably there yeah that that was that was the big practice and I thought I'm probably not gonna get that much fitter. and the next month was actually about sort of holding the fitness and not getting injured or or having any issues um, but I guess I didn't ever really feel ready it just gets to a point where it's a bit like revising for an exam you don't assume that you know everything but you kind of go well I've done enough revision now. I'm just going to have a go at the exam and, and see how it goes. That's probably how I felt on the on the flying out to Cape Town as getting ready for the week ahead.
0: Yeah, there is an interesting point of this race that, uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, um, I was checking on the, you know, the entry fees for this race. And it's yeah. terrific, expensive. <laughs> it's uh, 39,000 of euros, that does include the flight from your homeland to Cape Town, the accommodation in Cape Town, it does include your flight back home basically from Miami. So that actually it's a lot, a lot of money to pay for a, for a, for a, for a race. Um, why you have decided to invest so much money on a race or you were sponsored? Um, no, I saved up. I'm
1: not really a holiday person. I don't really go on holidays for the sake of lying on sun lounges and stuff. So I'd saved up over a few years and, and I was lucky enough to be able to do it. And I, I did raise money for a wonderful charity called Sports Aid that looks after young athletes because I, I wanted to do that. But um, for me, it was just a once in a lifetime amazing special opportunity. And actually, it is really expensive. But in terms of what you get uh, for, the, for, the, for the whole week, it actually compares quite well compared to, for example, if you just go and do a single marathon in Antarctica or somewhere, that could, that costs about a third as much as the whole scheme um, that we did. So it's a very it's a very special thing to do. And the mixture of people that ran on it were just wonderful. So, I mean, I was one of only, I think, two British runners. There were lots of Americans, but also lots of South Americans. Um Chinese runners, Australia, and people just all around the world who'd all either been sponsored or saved up to do it. And we were all just sort of bonded by the love of, of, of running and this special challenge. Um, uh, and that, that made it really amazing. And the wonderful thing is we discussed so much that week but I couldn't tell you what anyone did for a job because we didn't discuss the sort of boring things that you normally discuss in life. We just discussed running and where we'd done marathons and how we were feeling and lending each other bits of kit if we needed to. And just sort of looking out for each other, really. It was a kind of a very, very special bubble of a week, if you like, in that sense, meeting people that you'd never have met in any other walk of life, taking on something that, you know, I'll never do again. If other people are lucky enough to go and do it for a second time, amazing. But for me, it was just the once-in-a-lifetime experience.
0: Yeah, it's a, I would imagine it was a fantastic experience, and also there is so much to organise, so I, I totally understand the reason why it's so, so expensive. But do you think that paying so much money for an event, uh, uh, for a challenge, did it help you to focus on pushing to the limits? Uh, did you give a, an extra reason why you wanted to be the best of the best, <laughs> or do it uh, the best that you can do. Yeah, I didn't.
1: I mean, I didn't set out to break the world record. I just set out to run the best seven marathons that I could, uh, and that's what I wanted to do, uh, and not, that's what I was able to do. But that's like anything in life. If, if I'm going to go and do something, I like to do it absolutely the best that that, that I can do. Uh, and so, yeah, I just I just applied that to this. I certainly. I was a bit nervous when I started training and I couldn't quite get my head around how I was going to run seven marathons. I thought, well, I can't come back having only run four of them. Um, so it was like, at first, it was about making sure that I was fit enough and strong enough to just get through seven. And then it was about saying, right, well, how can these be the best seven marathons that, that I can run? Uh, and that's what the training program did. We got to a point where I was in the shape to run to run the best seven races I could.
0: So there was a, some moment where I said, where you were saying, oh my God, I invested so much on of my, of my saving and maybe I can't do it. Did that it, come across in your mind or, or you
1: were so... I was, probably, yeah, I was probably like that for the first two months of training. So last September and October uh, um, I, in 2018, I, I definitely thought, well, I don't quite know why, why I've signed up to this because it's, I just don't know how I'm going to do it. But as as things got better, sort of halfway through the five months, I thought actually... I'm getting fitter. I'm getting stronger. Uh, once I've done the six marathons in nine days, I thought I think I, I think I'm actually going to be able to get to the end of this as long as you know all things being equal, I stay in one piece. There's no freak injuries or anything. Um, but yeah, when I when I committed to it initially in the summer of 2018 and. Before I started training, I definitely wondered what I was thinking. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I didn't even tell my family for two or three months because <laughs> I thought like, I can't. I don't. Want I felt so embarrassed that if I took on a challenge and couldn't do it, then it would be awful. So I didn't really tell anyone until one. I felt a little bit more confident, and two. I was I was raising some money for Sports Aid. So you can't raise any money if you don't tell people what you're doing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so that, that helped me admit admit to what to the sort of mad challenge that I was taking on.
0: That's fantastic because actually one of the techniques that I push you to do it more is like say to everyone so that it means that you have to do it. You yeah. can't pull back. Yeah. In no, your case, you still have to get to a certain point
1: of confidence to, to want to do that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's all about the, the mental yeah. side. And did you get any prize because you win it? Yeah, got a fabulous
1: glass trophy, which is very heavy, and, and sat on the mantelpiece at home. Um, had to bring that back through uh, airport security at Miami, which was a bit interesting. They wondered what the hell it was. Um, but yeah, and then we get medals for each one that you finish. And you get a very special medal as someone who's run seven marathons on seven days in seven continents, which is, is is part of a sort of club that we're all part of, which less than 400 people have done it. Um, less than 100 women so wow. about 300 300 men and 100 women so um it's kind of part of being a special club that doesn't matter what speed you did it in if you ran those seven marathons on the seven continents in in 168 hours then you're you're part of the uh part of the world marathon challenge club
0: you also have the opportunity to meet the other people there is a way how you can socialize with them
1: yeah i mean we're all we're all in contact on um on social media and yeah we all feel very much connected to each other uh, and those people that have done it will often go and do other races as well so richard donovan also organizes the north pole marathon uh, the volcano marathon in, in south america yes something, something two very different ones as well as world marathon challenge so um if i save up i might try and do it. i'm not going to go through and do the north pole marathon because i didn't like running on snow enough to to do that but I might head somewhere hot, somewhere I like. I prefer the heat. So yeah, we all feel very much kind of bonded, and I'm in fact going to to run Boston Marathon in April with the woman who set the previous world record before me. Um, so you make these lovely kind of international connections of of people that run, um, and it's just it's it's kind of it's kind of a lovely thing because you if it wasn't for running, you'd never know any of these people.
0: Yeah, and uh, as you and I speaking with you, I realize that straight away you guys have. Uh, Something extra, and that extra is uh, your power inside your mind uh, and the, the confidence uh, that he uh, allows you to break these uh, uh, challenges. You, you just, uh, something different, so it's kind of probably interesting for you to meet up with someone that he was able to break a world record. Uh, from the point of view, it's probably a little bit different from uh, just a runner. Yeah, but I think it
1: was great because everyone that was doing it was doing it because and and it was their it was their own personal challenge. So, you know, it didn't matter what time you were running. There's um, there was someone running it with type one diabetes. Um, the oldest man set so a new world record. Dan uh, Little from the US. He ran it at age 76. I mean, that's just phenomenal. So, there's like, it didn't really matter whether we were you know you were finishing in the faster times or the slower times. It was a it was a personal challenge for everyone everyone had trained really hard fitting it into life and we were all just just there for a big adventure.
0: That's amazing so which kind of lesson did you use from other races to achieve this one?
1: Uh, the, the, the put one foot in front of the other lesson
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, no it's funny it was it was slightly different from normal races because I normally like to whatever sort of race I'm doing kind of tend to do them as fast as I can but of course if you do that you you are sore at the end of a race. And you had to have a slightly different attitude, particularly in the first half of the week, where it was about, okay, just run, make sure you're kind of... I I thought about it as running within myself, so at no point was I pushing myself right to the limit of what was possible because you are conscious that you've got to then prepare yourself for the next race. So, you know, the second race that I did in in Cape Town, I ran it in 3 hours 21, which was kind of... I could probably on a road race like that have gone maybe 10, 15 minutes faster, but you don't want to do that because you're going to be that much more tired and sore the next day. So you want to be nice and consistent. And in fact, the next race in Perth was, uh, I think that's three hours, 24. So it's very, very similar. Um, I was three hours, 26 in um, in Dubai as well. So you're trying to run very equally, although that plan did go a little bit uh, off 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 the wall in in madrid because um christina a danish runner she was sort of just behind me in some of the early races she had won in antarctica and was it was just behind me in the following three races and then we got to madrid and she went off really really fast and it was a kind of epic evening of running because we ended up our finishing times were three hours 11 for me and she was only 13 seconds behind and just over three hours 12 wow and I had no at no point was I planning to run the fifth race the quickest but so sometimes as much as you plan to to run your equal races and look after yourself once you get into competition if you need to run really fast you just have to go and run really fast which then meant of course for the sixth race in Santiago it was I was a bit tired and that was my that was 337 that was pretty slow in comparison to what I'd done the night before in Madrid but you can't you can't ask your body just to keep delivering 100% the whole time. That's normally why most people do one race at a time, and certainly why I'm going back to do one race at a time now. So it was just a good example of what a special challenge it was to, to be able to put yourself back together again and keep, keep running one marathon after another.
0: Amazing, amazing. So let's speak up with, for another kind of challenge that you had, and I think uh, this was also another challenge, uh, your book. So tell me more about your book, because uh, James uh, that he works with at uh, 33Fuel, he just said, oh, there is a new book, uh, and uh, this is fantastic. So I just, uh, I got really excited about you uh, speaking also with James. He said, oh, I want her on the, on the podcast. Let's see if we can have a podcast and blah, blah, blah. And here mm-hmm. we go. You, you are here. So very excited about that. But your book running around the world how and when you decided to write the book, uh, did someone inspire you?
1: Um, it was, I suppose I got Mike to blame or thank. Um, when we were texting each other in Miami after we'd finished, we were thinking, Mike was like, well, you know, you need to recover and then discuss what's next. So, you know, because as a runner, we all like to know what our next race is going to be. No one likes to sit and go, oh, well, I've done a race, but I haven't got a plan now for the next one. And he goes, and why don't, why don't we write a book about what we've done? And I was like, well, I, I suppose, yeah, we could. There was, there's only been one other book about World Marathon Challenge um, by a guy called David Gethin back in 2015. And the, what was in what I wanted to do was write about very much the the subline to the book, which is it's running around the world, but it's how I ran seven marathons on seven continents in seven days with the, the bit of how, because I didn't want to write a book and just go, aren't I great for running these seven marathons, but actually just show people how I did it, how you can get, take a very ordinary runner that I still am and get them super fit and ready to do something that most people consider really, really difficult. And so the first half of the book is all about the training and, and what we did. Um, so that if anyone wants to go and do something, it might not be running several marathons. Whatever challenge it is, hopefully, it can kind of show there is always a way you can do it. Your training program would be different to what I did. and it, But there is a way you can take yourself from one physical and mental state and improve yourself and get yourself ready to take on something which at the beginning you just think i could never do that uh and then the second half of the book is is the story of each race and and obviously the the exciting conclusion at the end but i hope it's a book that you know every runner whether you're a park runner on a saturday through to you know someone that takes marathons quite seriously or something will get something from and, and find it interesting um it was certainly a different challenge to spend my weekends at the beginning of the year, sat writing for five or six hours a day on on on, uh, on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, but it was great, and I worked with a lovely team at Rethink who who've put it all together with me, uh, and it's got a kind of a lot of Mike's input as well, his expertise, and interestingly as well, what with the, all of the text messages that we shared while mm. we were racing, because actually having Mike at the end of the phone. Uh, we were just sharing thoughts and ideas and that was really helpful for me to, to be able to bounce ideas off him so for example before the last race I suddenly got very nervous because you get very close to completing your dream and you don't realize how i you know I was like god I suddenly feel really weird and it was Mike that had to tell me yeah, it's yes because you're really nervous now but you got to channel that into into your legs and everything so I hope it's an interesting read and um, something that's a bit different to maybe other books that are out there
0: so, how how long did it take to write it? Um, I wrote most of the copy
1: between February and May, and then spent the sort of autumn putting it all together, <coughs>
0: um, and then we published it in December. Wow! So, <coughs> writing writing a book is not easy, <laughs> and especially because, uh, as you said, you wanted to inspire, and you wanted you wanted to inspire, you wanted to give something you needed to give us some priority in your life. So which kind of priority you gave to the book compares to training, a job and and writing?
1: Um, I think I probably took on a similar approach to how I did the training in that it was going to have a beginning, middle and end. So I knew that when I was training for the World Marathon Challenge, it was sort of five months and it was a very focused period. It was a bit like that with the book. Mike and I agreed that if we started writing it in February, we wanted to get it out by Christmas ahead of this year's world marathon challenge. And because that was a good deadline. And so, yeah, we just about, we just about made it with a couple of weeks to spare. So I think people always say, well, how do you find the time to do things? I always think you find the time to do the things that you want to do. And actually I always find the time, for example, I like I enjoy watching a couple of cookery programs a week or whatever, master or bake off. Well, if I find the time to, to watch them, I can probably find the time to, to find time to write a book and, you just have to be very committed. I was probably quite boring on those weekends. I wasn't exactly going out and seeing friends and stuff because at the end of the day, if you're going to sit and write, you just need to sit in peace and write. And I also found I couldn't do it in the week with work because in the daytime, you're obviously busy working. And i go, oh, well, maybe I'll do a couple of hours in the evening. But you're too tired. You just, by 10, 11 o'clock at night, you just need to go to bed, really. Um, so I was fine that if I just focused on it on the Sunday, and the, uh, the Saturday and Sunday. So and Saturday then do- and Sunday...
0: Yeah, Saturday and Sunday's basically yeah. were the, your days of writing. Yeah. So the process of what it was, you wake up in the morning, you just dedicate all the entire day. How was your writing process? Um, I'd,
1: I'd break it up. I'd get up and do probably a couple of hours, of, which is really good because you're kind of fresh. Then I'd go for a little leg stretch just before lunch, like not a long run at all, but just to clear my head. And then I also learned the key art to writing in the afternoon is to not eat a big lunch. Because if you eat a big lunch, you get really sleepy and you sit there and you're trying to write and you're like, oh, I've eaten too many carbohydrates. So I learned the lesson of like not eating a big lunch and just having a bit of chocolate or something in the afternoon to keep you going. Then you can go a good four hours in the the, um, afternoon and then probably do a light gym session in the evening. and, And then you feel really tired and you want to go to bed. But you can get your sort of six hours of writing in. And if you turn off social media and you turn off your emails, you can actually get quite a lot of writing done. Yeah. Um, and then it was a quite busy. I was very busy at work in October when we were just finishing the editing. So I had a slightly crazy weekend where um, the publishers had done the final edit of the book, but I needed to go through it and OK it and make a few more tweaks. But I was also running Chicago Marathon. And so I spent the eight hour flight from London to Chicago um, just literally sat while everyone else on the plane like was watching a film or having a sleep. I just sat editing the book for eight hours and we landed in Chicago and I sort of just about finished it. So it was the most productive flight I've ever had. Not sure I'd want to do that every single time I do it, but it just shows that when you need to fit something in and you need to get something done, you will carve out time and, and make it happen, as I'm sure a lot of people that, that do training and, and do races are familiar with.
0: Oh, fantastic. Uh, you spoke also about a uh, publisher. So one of the questions I would like to to ask you is, where do you find your publisher? How, was difficult in the process? Because probably there are other athletes, they wanted to write a book, but they don't know exactly which is the process to find a publisher or to self-publish.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, the the rethink is a sort of hybrid way of doing it. The the company that I work with, and I'd I'd really recommend them to anyone. I mean, the days when you used to go to a sort of traditional publishing house and try and get a contract doesn't really I mean, if you're a big name, or you're a full time author, then that might be what you want to do. But most of us who are just writing a book on the side about something specific that, that we might have um, knowledge of and, and want to share the Rethink or uh, other companies that do it are brilliant because you, you sign a very simple contract for, for a relatively small amount of money and then they you have to sit and write the manuscripts, no one can do that for you there's no there's no shortcut for that um, but you write the sort of 50, 60,000 words that are the basic manuscripts and then they they take it and edit it and you, you supply pictures or you work out if you need any tables or imagery anything else and then you have the fun bit of working with their design team on how it was all going to look and come together. And so from I, I worked with them from the end of August uh, right through to publishing in, at the beginning of December. So it was just over three months um, and it was a really good process. And that's that's the route to take I would recommend for anyone. Um, and also you're not committing yourself to book sales. So my book's available on Amazon Um in hard form or kindle and you know if it sells lots of books great if it doesn't it's not the end of the world i'm going to different events like i'm off to the running show at the end of january where people will be buying the book but i haven't signed myself up to any commitment to have to sell hundreds of thousands of copies because i didn't write the book you know to to to, to make money from per se i just wrote it because i wanted to share what i'd done and hope it would be interesting to other people and i think that's the route a lot of people now take and there's definitely a way you can do it
0: Well, it's amazing. Three months to uh, edit everything, it's really a short time because you have to consider, you know, the graphics, everything, the covers, the the overall, it's so much to work. It's it's fantastic, uh, fantastic team. Definitely. Yeah, I mean,
1: ironically, as you're, you're writing a book, you don't read many books. <laughs> you spend the entire time doing something on your own book. So it's quite nice now that I'm not writing a book, that I can go back and read the book pile of books that have, uh, have piled up this year that I haven't read.
0: So how was it to write also with a co-writer? Because as you said, Mike Antonialis, <laughs> if mm, I'm not yeah. wrong, Mike Antonialis, yeah. he was also uh, a co-writer. So how was to write together?
1: Um, We did it separately. So my my bit is the sort of main bit, but he then wrote his in his input was both the training program. He's then done updates in the first half of the book about how each four week block was going. Uh, And then we've got his his text messages. And and so the only really joint bit that we wrote together was the introduction. Um, So actually, it kind of it kind of all fitted together quite well. Um, I would then, then with the publishers, I would take along what edits they would made, and we just sit. When we, after we'd done my uh, my running session, we just sit and go through things. So, a bit like the partnership worked quite well when we were training, it, it worked equally well in writing the book as well.
0: Fantastic! I tell you what, congratulations first of all uh, to be to be um, a record holder. That it's fantastic. <laughs> And, uh, and second, to write a book about it. Thanks so much for this contribution that you are giving to the, <laughs> <laughs> to the to runners. So if uh, people, they wanted to find you um, on social media, where they can find you, where they can follow you?
1: Uh, so I'm on Twitter. Um, my personal handle is um, at The Iron Lady Runs. Uh, which is an old old name that goes back to when I worked for a company called Betfair. And they were like, well, yeah, we were like the Iron Lady when I started doing challenges. So yeah, the Iron Lady runs. Um, I'm also a a personal trainer and my, my personal training hand uh, handle is be amazing PT. Um, So my sort of thing is that I think everyone can be amazing uh, in their own way and doing their own challenge, whatever, whatever it might be. And then I'm also on Instagram as, as at be amazing underscore personal training. As well. So, um, and I also have a website, uh, wecanbeamazing.com, where I try and do regular blogs and, and let people know what I'm up to. Uh, and you can get in contact with me through there as well if, if anyone wants to know a bit more or has has any other questions that uh, that aren't covered in the book or, or anything else I've written on the blog.
0: So, what's next? <laughs> and I bet yeah. everyone they ask you the same question: yeah. What's next? There is something, uh, or you're just recovering. <laughs> No, I had a nice
1: quiet end of the year where I, I didn't do any racing for a couple of months just because it was quite nice to not always have the alarm clock going off at the weekend. Um, but no, no, very much focused now on this year. And um, As ever, as most runners, I want to be able to get a bit faster. So um, I'm gearing up. I'm doing a few races before, but I'm mainly gearing up for April. Uh, and I'm going to go and run Manchester at the beginning of April, which is a fantastic marathon, lovely flat course, really good organization. So... My PB there was 256 last year, so I'm going to see if I can go faster, but see what the legs have got in them. Uh, And then I'm heading off at the end of the month to run Boston, which I haven't run before, which is obviously a very special marathon, one of the world majors, Um, very kind of serious. Uh, And then six days later, I'll be running London, which will be my 12th London marathon.
0: Uh, Wow.
1: Quite a busy week, and I I love London. I absolutely love it. So the atmosphere is incredible, It's, it's absolutely wonderful. So, um, yeah. And then after that, I think in the summer, I'll go and do some more ultra marathons um, and, and go and enjoy running some longer distances, hopefully in the sunshine when it's in those nice summer months and, and see what I feel like doing. I like, I like sort of 100k, sometimes 100 mile races. Um, you can go on a proper adventure and in, enjoy the countryside. And you're not, you're not racing the clock quite as much as when you do a road marathon. And it's all about what time you finish in. Uh, You can just go and run all day and and it's good. I I like the challenge of getting your nutrition right and enjoying, you know, you have periods where you feel awful and then you feel better and you have to learn to sort of how to deal with all of that. So um, they're quite good fun, I think, for the summer.
0: Well, it's a lot of, uh, again, a brain focus, uh, try to, as you said, listen to your body. And that is one of the ultra, probably is the key point, is listen also to your body because if uh, you listen just to your head, the body at one point uh, it will, uh, it, it will, co- can collapse, uh, no, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and you need to have what
1: I enjoy about ultras is you need to have that discipline if you're feeling bad you have to go through that checklist of like exactly. why, why am I feeling bad and often in my case sometimes I don't eat enough you're like right eat some food even though you don't feel like you need to eat food eat food and then suddenly half an hour later you think you feel much better or or I get a habit where I realize I haven't drunk anything for an hour oh exactly. no drink more water and so it's, it's having that discipline to look after yourself over that long period of time
0: yeah. and when you get
1: it right and you run really well it's so satisfying
0: Fantastic. So, uh, thanks so much to be a guest uh, here at our podcast. Really enjoyed to, to speak with you. It was really nice. And, um, congratulations for the book. And we will put also on the show notes uh, a link also for the link with Amazon and all the links for, for your book. So, if people they wanted to read it, they will have the easy opportunity to click and just go straight. <laughs> So enjoy enjoy your next adventures and uh, thanks so much to be a guest.
1: Brilliant. Thank you, Erica. Lovely chatting to you.
0: I really enjoy having Susanna on the show and thanks to James at 33Fuel to have contacted Susanna so we could have her uh, today. Uh, I hope you enjoy it as I did recording the episode, so if you want to check out Susanna's book just check out the link on the show notes below uh, where you can find also the links about 33fuel website and social media. So if you have any question for Susanna or you have any question for us or you want to share any opinion, please get in touch with us using the links below in the show notes. So thanks so much for joining us and stay tuned.